0: out there and comprehend what God wants because he's seen you and said I want that person I want this woman this man, this boy this girl these young people he wants you now it's up to you to do your part so you've been hand picked for a specific job in Acts 26.18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. See, it's what God called us for. To open our eyes, to turn us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. What power did Satan have? He had control of the world, didn't he? Remember in uh, Matthew 4, what Satan said to Emmanuel? He said, if you will just bow down to me and worship me, you can have control of all this planet. That's the power that Satan has. The power over this planet. And he offered that to Christ. That they may receive forgiveness. So, our eyes have been opened. We've been hand-picked so that we can receive forgiveness from sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. That is, in Emmanuel Christ. Who are those people? Already there. Hebrews 11, right? We can go to Hebrews 11 and read about a vast number of people who have been hand-picked and now wait in a place of safety Yes, it's the grave, but they're in safety, aren't they? They are safe from what's going to come on this world in the very near future. First Corinthians 6 tells us, For you are bought with a price. So as we go to the Passover, think in your mind, Christ paid for you. Here is God, who created everything, gave that up, walked, proved that he would not follow satan and gave his life that you can be handpicked to be here today. Ephesians 1 says he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So this is a plan that started way back before the world was. God was planning a family. Now he didn't specifically know you would be there, but he handpicked people through the ages. Today, we are being handpicked to do a job, to serve our Creator. And 2 Timothy 1 tells us, called, he has called us with a holy calling. So this handpicked is holy. Specifically called us according to his own purpose. Not our purpose. Not the purpose of some men or people or organizations or religions, but for his own purpose, to be a family. And again, there in Titus 2, he says that he might redeem us from all iniquity. That's why we've been hand-picked. And he gave his life to redeem us from iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. And notice zealous of good works. So it's more than just hang around. It's more than just have mercy, but it is through work, good works, zealous works, putting forth a lot of effort. So it takes more than just faith. And we read through the Scriptures that there's going to be only a small portion of people who will be taken to a place of safety. And they're called the remnant. Now, the Scripture has 97 places it talks about a remnant. So we have to ask ourselves, what is a remnant? Well, if you're looking at material, the ladies know that You go out there and you pick up a bolt of material and it might be 25 yards or 10 yards or whatever. But the remnant is only that little section that after they sold everything else off, there's just a little piece left, just a small piece. Could be a yard, could be a half a yard, could be two yards. They would call it a remnant. It might only be a quarter of a yard. But a remnant is only a small piece of what was originally there. And the remnant is also a small portion of anything. A small group of people. If you have a 10,000 people and only a few are saved, the remnant is going to be that small few people. Let me find that I've got here in Matthew. says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. A remnant. Just a few people will be spared. Only a few people will find or be taken through that gate. But it takes work, doesn't it? Zealous of good works. Again, in Luke, we read Luke 13, 24. Straight is the gate. Uh, Strive to enter the straight gate, rather. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter. Is that not happening today? Look at this world. People are wanting to get into God's kingdom. Many, many people are striving to go there. And shall not be able to. A lot of people will want to be part of that remnant. But they're going to have a difficulty. A real, real difficulty. God indicates less than 10%. Less than 10% of this nation, less than 10% of the world will live into the millennium. And the indications are less than 10% of the church will go to a place of safety. The rest are going to go through tribulation. They're going to have to be tried and tested to prove somewhere down the line by giving their life that they are going to follow God's way. We know the scriptures say there's going to be 144,000 that will be the bride of Christ. Some of those people are already asleep. Some of those people are already in a place of safety. Many of them still wait today. And of that group that waits today, only a small part will be taken to a place called the remnant. Go to Ezekiel 5. and We'll look at Ezekiel 5. Ezekiel 5, verse 1, And you, son of man, take you a sharp knife, take you a barber's razor, and cause it to pass upon your head and upon your beard, then take the balance to weigh and divide the hair. So we're getting an indication here that God's setting up something in the future. And you shall burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city, when the days of the siege are fulfilled, and you shall take a third part and smite about it with a knife, and a third part shall you scatter in the wind, and I will draw out a sword after them. So are you dividing it in threes? We can look at what happened to the church. It was divided and scattered in the winds, and apparently it seems that it's not stopped yet. Because my wife was telling me this morning that one of the large organizations are at the brink of being scattered and even thinking that they are the ones that Ezekiel's talking about. One of the large groups of people are having difficulties with uh, the organization, with what the ministry and the people are doing. And so we can see that it hasn't stopped yet because... Maybe we're not all zealous of good works. Handpicked people, selected to be a part of the family, are having difficulties. And you shall also take thereof a few in number. So he's going to take a few in number. Does he tell us how many? No, he just says a few in number and bind them in your skirt. So he's going to take all this hair, divide it in thirds, and only take a few in number and set them aside and take of them. So if it's a few in number, then he says, I'm going to take of them, that few in number, and cast them in the midst of the fire and burn them with fire. For thereof shall a fire consume forth, come forth unto all the house of Israel. So the house of Israel and the church. We know Hebrews twelve twenty five tells us and relates that the church is the house of Israel. So even in the church, a few that are a part of the remnant are going to be cast into the fire. Verse twelve, and a third part shall you shall die with pestilence and a. And with famine and shall be consumed in the midst of you and a third part shall fall by the sword about you and I will scatter a third part into the winds and will draw out a sword after them. So God is causing, telling us that the very near future, a lot of chaos is going to happen on this planet. Many people will die. We might say, Billions of people, since there are what six billion somewhere in the near neighborhood. If there's six billion, that would be two billion die from pestilence, two billion die with famine, and two billion would go into captivity. But most specifically of this country, which is over 300 million, divide that down: a hundred million people dying in our country, a hundred million people dying with disease. 100 million people dying of starvation. Starvation in this country doesn't seem likely, does it? A country that has been so blessed, had so much, who's enjoyed the land of milk and honey, that two-thirds are going to die right off the bat and a third of the country will go into captivity. And thinking of the church, how many does God save? is alive today. How many is in the church and you think of two-thirds of those people are gone? And then only a remnant. Only a remnant will be set aside to be taken care of. So often in the church, at least in my life and since back in the 60s, they haven't said it, but it, to me it's been a kind of underlining effect and I know there's only one organization that's ever said it, was to pray, pay, and stay. And I think, it, as I can remember back, that was what the indication was. As long as you stay with Worldwide, as long as you stay with my group, as long as you stay here and you pay your tithes and you pray and you don't walk away, you're going to be a part of that remnant. You're going to be taken to a place of safety. We taught that. Not openly, but that was the underlying effect. We felt 140,000 people would be going to a place of safety. We'd all get out there and jump on the airplanes and fly to Petra, or somewhere in that area to get a bus to Petra. I mean, that's what was said back in the 60s, I know, and the 70s and the 80s. I can remember those things being talked about. We tried to figure out how many airplanes would that take and how would we get and achieve all those airplanes. But we didn't understand that not the whole church will go because God talks of only a remnant of people will go. A small percentage of what's left of the church will go to a place of safety. So can we say, pray, pay, and stay, and we'll go to safety? Can we know the exact number that will be going to a place of safety? I've had somebody tell me they thought it was less than 300. I've had others say, well, it's probably around 15,000. And others say maybe seven or somewhere in between. So we've tried to guesstimate how much is going to be there, but can we know the number of people that will go to a place of safety? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. For here, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that it's not just hearing and staying and paying is enough. Because he's going to relate to you here, Israel. And look what happened to Israel. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. we talking about the whole nation of Israel. They were all there. They went under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did eat the same spiritual meat and did drink the same spiritual drink. Is that what we have done so far? Are we not eating the spiritual food? Are we not drinking the spiritual drink? We take the Passover, don't we? We eat the bread representing the body of Christ beaten, brutally beaten for our lives and drink His blood that spilled out on the ground as He hung on a tree. And I I would suggest going back right now and listen to that sermon Daryl gave, how deep is the blood at the bottom of the cross. Real good sermon. We have so many much material out there that's been given to us if we would just absorb it. And you've been hand-picked. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to be there, but you've been hand-picked. Or you wouldn't be listening today. Whether you're on the telephone line or sitting here, you have been hand-picked. And whether you're a young child, Teenager, young adult, middle-aged adult, or some of us old folks. <laughs> we've been handpicked picked to, to understand these things. And we've taken, eat that spiritual meat and drink that spiritual drink at Passover. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul pointed out to the people then, As it is to us today, the nation of Israel was led, taught, trained, fed by Christ, by Emmanuel. But he wasn't with them then, so he was just God, or called the Lord God. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. God's looking at us. Handpicked us. He handpicked the nation of Israel. Brought them out. Took care of them. But he wasn't pleased with them. We have to ask ourselves as we approach the Passover. Is God well pleased with me? And if he's not... What do I have to change? What's in my life that isn't right? And I don't care who we are, what organization we sit into. Are we pleasing God with the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we act? Verse 6, now, these things were an example their life, what they did, became an example to the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. So there's a point. God says, if you approach the Passover, am I following the example of the nation? Or am I following the example of Christ? who refused to obey Satan, who refused to accept Satan's challenges. We have that opportunity in front of us. Verse 7, Neither be you idolaters. How many idols do we have? We did a whole series on that and looking into our life and how many things that we set up. Anything that takes president in our life, in front of our Creator, becomes our idol. Our job, our family, our recreation, our entertainment. Any of those things can take president over God. And we've heard from our pastor time and time again, Jumping on our case, as God inspired him to jump on our case because we put something in front of our Creator. It could be our television. It could be our desire to have pleasure. The whole nation of Israel, didn't they do that? Neither be you idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They had just stood in front of the mountain. They had just received God speaking to them. They heard it the commandments brought to them. And remember, they said, Oh, Moses, you talk to God and then you talk to us, but we don't want to hear God anymore. And how long was it afterwards? How many days went by? It could have been too many because it was only 40 days that Moses was on the mountain, came back down, and in that 40-day period, they had made a calf, so they had their idol. And they had rose up and were drinking and doing all sorts of things that God didn't like. Terrible things happened, so how about us? Look into our life. We go to the Passover, you know, and the sermon that Daryl gave a year ago, which told us to uh, start studying, start searching our life from the first day of the month to the 14th and see where you stand in relationship to Christ. I think, I think that was tape um, 783, I think, but somewhere right in there. But it's on the internet. Any of us that wants to go on it, you people on the, on the telephone line can go to the internet, go to journal sermons, go to page 7, go to the column on the right, and go down to, the, I think it's the fourth sermon down It says, uh, it tells you about that. I slipped from my mind. That's where, see, I tell you, I can't remember everything. <laughs> but look at that. See that. It talks about how you are to prepare for the Passover beginning at the first day of the month. Verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three thousand uh, no, 32,000 people. Because they were committing fornication. Spiritual fornication, in physical fornication, and God took them out. What happened to the church? Why did the church break to pieces? Why is this organization right now coming apart? Because God is not pleased with our actions. Neither let us tempt God. Remember Satan said to Christ, cast yourself down. God says He won't allow you to get hurt. Christ, all He said to him was, you don't tempt the Lord your God. Do we tempt God? In our daily walk, do we find something we can tempt our God with? Remember, we want to be part of that remnant. It takes work, zeal, hard work. So they tempted God and some of them also uh, tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. (laughs) Because we put something in front of our God. It says, neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Do we complain about what God is doing? Being out here maybe? Or complain about the way God is dealing with somebody? Remember what uh, Peter said to Christ, uh, talking about John, he said uh, he saw John and, and he said, "Well, uh, how is it that John's going to live forever?" And Christ told him, "It's not your business, is it? You can't complain about the relationship that what God, what Christ said to Peter, the relationship that I have with Peter, with John." Neither can we complain about the relationship we have with each other about somebody else. Because that's murmuring. That's challenging God and how he's working with different people. We all have different abilities or lack of abilities. And God uses us to the best purpose for his work. So we shouldn't murmur. Because here's a group of people that murmured and complained. Remember Korah, Dathan, and Abiron. They murmured and stirred up the congregation. Korah, Dathan, and Abiron, and their families all went into the pit. And 270,000 leaders in the, church, in, in the congregation died. And how many other thousands of people died? All because... God likes Moses better than me. Or maybe our pastor likes somebody else better than the other person. Maybe he's not close enough to me. I want better attention. I want to be closer to him. I want to be closer to the church. I want to have more recognition. And so we say, woe is me. (laughs) Woe is me. I don't get enough attention. But you don't want to die, do you? If we murmur enough, we might not die right away, but we might find ourselves on the outside looking in. And that means when the tribulation hits, you're going to be on the outside looking in at those that were taken and called the remnant. We don't want to find ourselves in that position, do we? Now all these things, verse 11, happened unto them for an example, that they are written for the admiration upon whom the ends of the world are come. We're in that position today. These are examples written for our admiration. It is examples written for us to think about, and then as we go toward the Passover, hey, what am I doing How's my relationship with my Father? What's my relationship with my my God? What's my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Because remember, Christ said, how we treat each other is how we treat Christ. So if we treat each other roughly, you might as well say, I'm treating Christ roughly. If I question a brother or sister in their relationship were questioning Christ's relationship with us. You don't want to find yourself. So these were an example to us as we are here at the end of society, this type of society, better yet to come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands, verse 12. When you think that I am. Here, and all I have to do is pray, pay, and stay. If you think that's the answer, and you think you stand, take heed, because you're on the way down. You will fall. Second Peter 1 verse 10. Wherefore, the so rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. It's important to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. If we think we've got it made, Revelation 3, 17, 14, 17, 18 to the Laodicean says, you think you've got it made, doesn't it? We don't need any more training. We don't need any more of this. We've got everything. And he says, you're naked and blind and poor. You need to get eye salve to open your eyes. You need to have food to feed you and drink. And when Christ starts knocking at the door, open it. Because the and said, we don't need any more. brought that out in the Bible study. If we close our mind to what God's teaching... Because we don't like the person, or we don't like the attitude, or we don't like the close relationship they might have, we stop learning. You stop learning. You have to have an open mind to be able to learn. And we're told to prove what's in this book. We don't have to prove what a person says. We have to prove God's Word. Like you buy a car and you drive it a little bit to prove whether it's going to meet your Quality, uh, quantities or your, your needs at the time so you prove this, does this meet me is this what I need to do and what's in here that I need to change to be like Christ we want to be a part of the remnant don't we each one of us and just sitting in this seat just hearing the Sabbath, just singing a song and then going off and doing our own thing we bring another idol in and guaranteeing that you won't be a part of the remnant. Now we can want to figure out there's going to be a maybe 144,000 in remnant. Not so. I don't think that's there because we already know there's only 144,000 going to be a part of the bride of Christ, which means when we look into Hebrews 11 again, we can see there are a pretty number of people that are sitting out there already have their crown but to the church Christ says don't give up your crown don't turn around and go backward the attitude of just being here God has something to say about that in Jeremiah 23 Jeremiah 23 the attitude of telling everyone being the minister, being the teacher saying just have to be here just stay here, pay some tithes, give some offerings, um, sing some songs, occupy a seat. But what does God say? Jeremiah 23 verse 1. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of the, my pasture, says God. When they destroy it and they scatter the people, God doesn't take that kindly. Wherefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my sheep. So here he's getting down on the men that are teaching, that have a responsibility, and whether it be in a sermonette or a Bible study or a sermon. God looks at you and says, you have a responsibility, and I'm going to look at you and see what you're doing. You have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not visited them, behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings." Because we haven't taken the chance, the opportunity to visit, to encourage, to strengthen, and like Isaiah said, that you have to cry aloud and spare not. Sometimes we we want to spare somebody because we see them going wrong. And yet, I think if James tells us that if you see a brother or sister make a mistake, go to them, point it out. Tells the ministers to do that. You're making a mistake, point it out. And if they change, if they repent and turn around and become zealous in good works, you've saved a soul. You've saved a person. So on the ministry, God has really leveled a tremendous responsibility. But He also levels it on each one of us too. Because remember, we are called a peculiar people, a holy priesthood. So it comes down on us too. If we lead somebody astray, God will not be happy. And He won't take it lightly. We see and have lived through that period of time when God emphasized the fact that those that led the church astray, those that led those little ones astray, he wasn't happy with. Christ himself even said it would be better to have a millstone, millstone which weighs maybe a ton or more, and taken out to the deepest trench in the Pacific and thrown in. It'd be better to do that than to sway one of these little ones that I have called, hand-picked, and you lead them astray. And that's to every one of us. And I will gather the remnants of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and will bring them again into the fold, and they shall be fruitful and increase. So God is going to bring them back. But He says only a remnant He's going to bring back. So we had maybe at the feast, at the peak, 150,000 plus a few, but actually baptized members maybe somewhere around 100,000. And if we're talking about 10%, it would only be, what, 10,000? We're talking about a remnant. What's left over after the rest have been taken care of. After he has divided them. Into thirds, two thirds totally gone, and only a remnant will be kept back of all that group. It's verse four, and I will set and I will set shepherds over them, which shall feed them, and they shall and they be lacking, says the Lord. Feed them what they're lacking, what they're not hearing. I'll tell you what, I think our shepherd has really been feeding us. I see the inspiration in the sermons. Sometimes we think, boy, he's jumping on us with two feet. But I know him enough to know that it's something that was inspired at the time, and he sees the need, and he's crying aloud and not sparing, is he? In Romans 10... Paul picks up on the need to teach good works. Teach good works. Romans 10 verse 14. So we're told that God's going to get after the shepherds. He's going to get after us. And we've got to cry aloud and spare not and lead His people in the right direction. Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call upon Him whom they have not heard or believed? Well... We know there's a lot of people, even in the church, that haven't heard some of the things we've heard. and How are they going to be able to hear that? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So God says, I'm going to teach the people with the foolishness of preaching. And how shall they preach except they be sent? So those that God handpicked, you, me, those on the telephone line, those in the church and wherever they are, handpicked, are going to have to have somebody preach to them or teach them. And how shall they preach except their sin? Well, God selects not only you and me and those in other organizations, but He also selects the ones that He's going to use to preach. Handpicks them. Sometimes we want to pick them ourselves. Sometimes we as an individual want to be the one that does all of the preaching. But it is God says that He picks those that He wants to do that. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Peace in the church, peace in the world. The good news that there is going to be a government run by Christ, by David, the twelve apostles, and those that are here being called, chosen, selected as priests of the family of God. And being glad and bringing glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, "Who has believed our report?" You can teach the right, you can cry aloud and spare not, and, and strive to show the right direction. There are people that are not going to listen. They're not going to hear. Isaiah said, "They won't hear our report." We can tell them that only a remnant is going to be a part of the family. Only a remnant will go to a place of safety. But it takes diligent work. Zealous work. It takes effort and energy. It takes dedication and commitment. If we're not committed a hundred percent, then you're going to find yourself outside looking in. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Here is God's Word. And faith comes from this believing that what's here is going to happen. I know there are others that say one thing or another, that some are already in heaven, they're already part of the family, but are they? If that be the case, then our Bible is a lie, because the Bible says Christ is the first of the first fruits. And if he's, if there are others already in heaven, already part of the family, then Christ isn't the first of the first fruits, is he? He'd be somewhere down the line. But he's the first. So if that's the case. There's nobody in the family yet. Oh, they're predestined or they have given their life and they're sitting in a place of safety, the grave, waiting for the return of Christ. And they will be resurrected first, you know, 2 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ will rise first and then we which remain... We'll meet them and rise and meet Christ in the sky. So then faith comes by hearing what we hear if we're we're hearing. Not always do we hear. Sometimes we hear the words, but we don't hear the words. We hear the sounds, but we don't hear what's being said. And so we shut ourselves off. Jeremiah 31, verse 10. Jeremiah 31, 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O you nations, to the world, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him, as a shepherd does his flock. So, the nations here may maybe talking about the church, the scattered groups, everywhere, saying, I scattered my people and I will bring them back together and I will be their shepherd. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the uh, hand of him that was stronger than he. So Christ will ransom us. Zechariah 3. In that day, verse 11, shall you not be ashamed for all your doings where you have trespassed against me for then I will take away out of the midst of you them that rejoice in pride. I hope I don't have pride. God's going to take that away from them. And you shall no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. So He's going to take the pride out of our life. He's going to take us and put us in His mountain, His place. And I will also leave in the midst of you an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of their God, the name of the Lord. God is going to take a poor and afflicted people. So I guess we can look forward to having some trials, don't we? We can look forward to being not having everything we would really like. But then again, you know, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they went through plagues, didn't they? First, to show that he's God has the power, and secondly, to show who He's working with. So. Nation of Egypt suffered all the plagues, even to the death of the firstborn. But Israel only has suffered enough to know that God is God and that we want to follow him. Verse 13, The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall, be deceitful, uh, shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. So here's a couple of things that we can look at as we go to the Passover. The remnant that God's going to have, the remnant of the nation whom God will have, they won't be full of iniquity, they're not going to speak lies, and neither will have a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. So when he brings the remnant together, he's going to look at them. hand-picked people. Many will call. Few are handpicked. And out of that few handpicked, some of them are going to be put out there and have to go through the tribulation. But He's going to look into your life. You're going to see how you talk, how you think, how you act, and what you do. And you're not going to be afraid once He brings that remnant together. We're not going to be afraid. No person can hurt us. Remember, Satan's going to cast the flood out, try to take you out. But the earth will help you. So all that armies that they send out to destroy, like Israel, you know, the example... Pharaoh brought the whole army out. God brought Israel to the Red Sea, or to the sea, whatever it is, to that vast body of water, confined by mountains on two sides and a body of water in front and an army behind them. And what did God do? Satan cast that flood to destroy that whole nation. But what happened? God opened the earth, the water. Israel went through, and he closed it up on the Egyptians. God helped them. He protect, He promises that to us, provided that we fit into that portion called the remnant. Things we have to work on, don't we? As we go through the Passover, He's telling us, look into your life. Examine your life. Not another person, not the man or woman Boy or girl, sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, down the street, on the telephone line. Now he says, it's on you. You're the woman. I'm looking at you. You have been selected, specifically selected to do a job. And I want you to be a part of the remnant. Makes some work, doesn't it? It's hard sometimes to, say, lay there in the evening before you go to sleep, and look at your daily activity and think, well, oh, what did I do? How did I treat somebody else today? Did I put somebody down? Did I condemn someone else? Did I condemn the president or the nation, the government leadership? Even when we realize that God put them in that position, They're only there because God wanted them there. And they're the right one to do the job for what's going to be needed to accomplish His goals. But when we lay there at night, do we think of, was I angry at somebody else? Did I lie? Did I cheat? Did I... Go through all that Christ said in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Can I live that type of life? Remember in that portion of that sermons that he gave there, he not only said you have to keep the law, but he went and made it more binding. If we think murder, we've murdered. If we think uh, robbery, we're a robber. If we think lying, we're liars. If we think adultery, we're adulterers. So it's more than just doing the job or doing the action. It's what's in your mind and coming out of your heart. So God is analyzing, because remember, you are hand-picked. So he's going to scrutinize your life, a whole lot more than anybody else that's not hand-picked. So he's really looking in. He's saying, hey, I picked you. I know who you are. Now what are you doing with your life? <laughs> you have to ask that, because you are hand-picked, remember. He says, I want you. Are you wanting me? We didn't pick God. I'll guarantee you that. Not a one of us picked being here ourselves. We didn't choose to be a part of God's way of life. No. He saw quality in you. In fact, when He called many people, He seen a quality in every person that got to that point where they began to study and began to grow. He looked into their life. He saw there was quality in there. And then... He began to choose and pick individuals who were showing some effort. You know, the, the, this parable of the sower where the seed fell on hard stones and or fell first of all by the side of the road and the birds got it right away. Those are people that were called but they never had anything there were never done anything. Then there were those that fell on the hard ground. On the rocks, and a little bit of water came, and they began to germinate and grow. But there was nothing to put their feet into because they were still too tied to their past life. And they withered and died. And then there were those that fell in the thorns. And we can look at the church and wonder, how many of us have friends that we've had backing worldwide? 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 people. And we say, where are they today? Where, where did those go? They got caught up in this world and were sucked away because the world looked too, better, too much good. Like Eve looking at the tree and thought, man, of course she had Satan there to feed her a little bit of stuff on the side, you know. Isn't it good for food? Yeah, it looks good. Gotta be good. Must be good. I better try it. Well, that's what happens to so much in the church. They were sucked away because they got caught up in this world. And where are they today? Keeping Christmas and Easter? Going to another organization, another religion that's not God's? Having idols in front of them that they bow down to? Give it some thought. So who then will be the remnant? In Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is a good psalm to give us an idea what God thinks. When David wrote these psalms, it was as if Christ was speaking through the psalms. It's like Christ is there telling us. And so here in Psalm 15, it says, Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? That's the question. Christ may be speaking to the Father. Who's going to abide in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Questions to ask ourselves. Am I wanting to be there so bad that I'm going to do every possible thing to be there? It goes on in verse 2. He that walks uprightly and works righteousness and seeks the truth in his heart looking for the right things walking, talking, living every day the right way. He that backbites not with his tongue doesn't go around and say I know what that person did. I know where she is. I know where he is. And we put somebody else down. But he says the person that's going to be in his tabernacle, in his government, is not going to backbite with his tongue. Nor does evil to his neighbor. (laughs) Finding some fault, fault to do them wrong, to make it hard on them. Nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor. In whose eyes a vile person is con- condemned. We see the vile people at this and just have to say it is sad. It is a horrible, rotten thing that this world is doing. It's almost at that point, if not there, as it was in the days of Noah. had to be a horrible time when that happened. But he honors them that fear the eternal. He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. Gives his commitment. Gives his word. And maybe find that I should have watched what I said. I should have analyzed it a little better. But I made my word. I gave my word. My integrity is I gave my word. I will go through You know, it's going to hurt me, but I gave my word. We gave our word to Christ when we were baptized. And maybe we sometimes think that was my hurt, you know. You see, you're good. But you made a commitment. You have to keep it. If you want to be a part of the remnant, a part of the family of God. He that puts not out his money to usury, nor takes reward against the innocent, he that does these things shall never be removed. If our integrity is impeccable, we're not going to be moved. No matter what comes down, if someone came in that door and threatened to shoot the speaker, we're not going to run out the back door to save our own hide, we'll stand up with Christ. Stephen was a good example, wasn't he? They accused him falsely. And all he did was point out the nation of Israel, what they went through, how they did all these things, and then tell them, you killed the prophets and you killed Christ. Now, he could have said all the good things and then walked out smiling, couldn't he? But he didn't. And it's an example for us that we've got to be in that same shoes of the same man. We've got to be in the shoes of Christ who never, ever brought a railing accusation even though they lied and lied and found every false thing about him he didn't come back and say well you did it too or, or, or you were just as bad or you do more things than I do no, he never said that did he but it's easier for us because we want to be accepted by each other so if we follow hearing room in Psalm 15 it says you're not going to be removed handpicked, selected and you're following what Christ teaches us, you're going to be a part of that family. You'll be a part of the remnant that God has. And God's going to use. Many are called. That was brought out in Matthew 22, 14. Many are called and few are chosen. The few that are chosen are not going to be removed. 1 Peter 4, verse 16 Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So we're accused of being sabbatarians. We're accused of Bible thumpers. Or we're accused of walking by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Glorify God that somebody else could see that you love God like Stephen, like Paul, like Moses. Well, We can go down the line in, in Hebrews 11, can't we? On God's behalf, we can glorify. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if first, Begin with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Judgment is beginning here and now, how you stand. Standing like Stephen, Paul, Peter, John, Christ. It's beginning with us. And remember, of that remnant, of that group that's set aside, some of them are going to be put into that fire, uh, fiery trials. And you have to be a, like Stephen. Because some of us will wind up being like Stephen. We're going to have to come in front of the people and be willing to give this physical life for Christ. We're going to have to do that. And if the righteous scarce shall be saved, where then uh, shall uh, where then the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit uh, the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto faithful our faithful Creator. Committing your life. How is your integrity? You have to have a real strong integrity to be a part of that remnant that will be. So what is God looking for then? You've heard some of it. Second Timothy 1.6 tells us, Wherefore? I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of, your, of the hand. So when you were ordained, uh, you know, baptized and hands laid on you, that's when you received that gift of God. He says, put in remembrance. Remember that time. Don't allow that to go backwards. We're told that he that walks uprightly. That's what God's looking for. An upright person. who's honest, faithful, just. Proverbs 2.7 says, He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. So as long as we're following the commands... You know, we're told to live by every word of God. Not pick and choose the one that's good for me, but by every word of God. So he's looking for people that walk uprightly. He's looking for people that work righteousness, the way you live your life. We've heard about those things already. We hear about them every Sabbath, walking or working righteousness. He that speaks the truth in his heart. Is that whatever comes out of your mouth? Is it truth? Or is there a tendency to make myself look good so I can fudge on the truth maybe and you know kind of stretch it a little bit so as long as I look good, that's what counts. Now it says that he that speaks the truth from his heart And he doesn't whisper behind other people's backs and point out mistakes that other people make, but he covers those mistakes. When you cover a sin, what we're told. So let's look a little bit then on some of the people that, show us an idea maybe, give us an idea toward how many will be in the remnant. The first one I have is Noah. Noah, and his three, uh, three sons, his wife, and his three daughter-in-laws. So we see there are eight people that were taken to a place of safety. A remnant of the whole world at that time. Eight people was a remnant at that time. Eight people were put in a place of safety. Eight people didn't see death or those dying. And yet there were millions of people who drowned. For 120 years, God allowed Noah to tell his people, It is going to happen. Change. You have a chance. We're being told today, change, you have a chance. You've been selected, but you have to change. You have to do something. You have to accomplish goals and tasks. Second Peter 2, 4 and 5 says, For God spared not the angels that sinned, Oh, there was a whole group of angels that went contrary to God, but cast them down to Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved to judgment, because they didn't obey, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, being in the flood, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodly people. We're told that God's going to bring terrible destruction. And most likely, only 10% out of 6 billion people will come through that that problem that's going to hit this world. 6 billion people, only 10%, or around 10%. So if it is ten percent, we're not looking at very many people, are we? Not a whole lot left. First Peter three twenty says, which sometimes were disobedient. When once the long suffering God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, were in few. That is, eight souls were saved by water. Eight people. So is this the remnant we're talking about? How many people were alive at that time? Apparently there was only eight that God considered as a remnant that was saved. How about Enoch? Enoch was only one person. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prepared in these saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. He's talking in Jude. There's Enoch. He was the seventh, a preacher of righteousness. And in Hebrews 11.5 it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he sh- should not see death. God allowed Enoch to go to sleep. That he didn't see the massive destruction <clears throat> that was coming upon the world. Enoch died that he didn't see the death of the population of that world, there are some which say that Enoch was taken to heaven. And again, I have to say, if that's the case, then Christ isn't our Savior, is he? Because he was the first of the firstborn. So Enoch had to be asleep that he didn't see the destruction. What about life? Enoch put to sleep was one person. Maybe he was in a place of safety and he's the remnant. So we have eight people a remnant or maybe one person a remnant. With Lot, only four people walked out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Four people were offered a chance to be the remnant of that town. One of them turned back. One of them wanted to see death. Example, telling us that if we're given an opportunity, don't go backward. Don't look back at this world. You don't want to see the death that's going to come. Because you're just apt to, if you turn around and look back at this world, to see the death that's going to happen. And you watch Millions of people in this country die. Do you want to do that? So maybe four or three is a remnant. Maybe we can say, well, we can see that a remnant is going to be less than ten people so far. Maybe that's the case. we have Elijah. Elijah thought, hey, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that serves you, God. What did did God do? He took Elijah out someplace, put him in a cave, brought a massive electrical storm, brought an earthquake, brought a tornado or a hurricane, and then he said, Elijah, what are you doing out here? So Elijah thought, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that can be in a place of safety. I'm the only one that's a remnant of the whole nation. Of those that actually were serving God. So he was looking at maybe not at the nation, but those that were serving God. He thought, I'm the only one. I'm the only remnant that's left to build on. Romans 11.5, 1 rather. Romans 11.1 I say then, has God cast away His people? God forbid For I also am an Israelite in the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul pointing out that he was a part of the remnant. But God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. What you not, what the scripture says of Elijah, how He made intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed the prophets. They've dug down the altars. And I am left alone, and they seek my life. So I'm out here as a remnant, saved. But what says the answer of God unto him? I have reserved my to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Oh, so now we have a little bigger group of people. We've had one, eight, three. Now we have an indication that maybe, maybe the remnant its going to be 7,000 people. Even so then, at this present time, Also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So maybe it's saying there's going to be 7,000. Out of maybe 100,000 at times? We don't know. Lazarus and the rich man, remember? Lazarus was taken to a place of safety. Another one person. The rich man said, send him back, you know. Give me a drink of water. Well, that can't happen. Well, send him to my family. And he said, that's not going to happen either because they have the prophets. We have the prophets. We have God's Word. We don't need somebody to come back from the grave and help us to understand what's going to be and where we're going to go, do we? So how many then are going to be in the remnant? That's an interesting question to ask. Elijah shows there's 7,000. Maybe we can say, okay, God, I think I told Barbara some time back, I'm going to tell her, how many are going to be in in the remnant? Well, we can say 7,000 maybe. Or eight with Noah. Or three with lots, For Ezekiel said only a few in number. Remember, when he cut the the whole church, took them in the thirds, and reached, reached in and took a small handful. So that doesn't tell us a whole lot. What about Gideon? Started out with thirty-two thousand men to conquer a nation to fight another group. And God said, that's too many people. So he took them down in number, and he said, if they had several uh, thousand left, he said, that's too many people. That's way too many people. We wound up with 300. So maybe it's just 300 that will be taken to a place of safety. How can we know? How do we know what? is going to be the number of people that's going to be called the remnant. Noah was in the ark, and he didn't see death. You want to be in a place of safety, that you don't see death. Not that you are I'm saying you're going to die, but you don't want to see the death and destruction that's going to come on this nation, on the church. We can know the exact number, and that is we go to God because He's the only one that knows. (laughs) And we can be a part of it if we're willing to change. And so as we head to the Passover, search our life, look into our heart, Christ said in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. Are you opening your ears and your eyes and your heart to hear? The exact number God knows. He already understands what He needs. Because He knows there's 144,000 going to be a part of the bride. And He knows how many have already died. We don't. We don't know how many are sitting in a place of safety right at this moment. People that we might have known in our lifetime. So we don't and cannot figure the exact number, but God can. What we can figure is, do I want to be there? Am I willing to change what's my integrity? You have been called. You've been selected and hand-picked. If you, like Lot's wife, turn around and look back, you can probably guarantee you won't be in the remnant. But God gives you the opportunity. It's your choice. It all depends on how much you are ready to change And if you are zealous for good work,